Give us the sense, and Alex, I want to start with you on this. What are some of the biggest issues that the New York Association on Independent Living is trying to tackle in terms of the budget? Well, Blaze, I think one of the big um, you know, barriers that we're facing this budget year uh, is connected to the Medicaid program. Um, you know, in New York, we've, for many years now, um, Medicaid uh, is basically the, the one-stop shop for people that need uh, long-term care. And uh, unfortunately, the Medicaid program also exists under this thing called the Medicaid Global Cap, you know, which keeps uh, downward pressure on Medicaid spending. Um, and unfortunately, you know, with the, the growing aging population and, you know, we have people with disabilities in New York, there's this, this ongoing pressure um, to reduce spending on long-term care, um, which uh, just keeps being problematic. We keep seeing cuts uh, across the board related to long-term care. And that's, you know, in a difficult budget year like, like this year uh, is, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot more of these cuts. So that's something that we're going to be uh, continuing to fight against um, this budget year. And, you know, not a great budget year overall, but particularly for our population, people that need, um, you know, long-term care to stay out in the community, this is, this is a real challenge. For sure. And it's thankfully not as bad of a budget year as we were told a few months ago. Julia, talk about this from the Consumer Directed Action of New York or C. Danny's side of things. Well, we certainly have um, a few major concerns of this budget. Um, Primarily, I would say the wage parity cuts for workers downstate. And if you're not familiar with wage parity, it's a mix of compensation and benefits Um, for workers in New York City, Long Island, and Westchester. This is something that was created in 2012, and CDPA wasn't included in until 2017. During that time, um, sometimes unscrupulous actors would inappropriately place traditional home care consumers into the CDPA program and make it a CDPA case in name only, in which um, agencies would inappropriately act in the role of a consumer, take on the responsibilities that consumers are legally supposed to take. And sometimes the consumer themselves didn't even know that they had been switched. So because this was happening specifically, um, CDPA was included in 2017. Now, in last year's budget, um, I guess I should say the the state budget for 2024 that was passed last year, there was a cut to wage parity of $1.55. Now, wage parity for New York City is slightly higher than in Long Island and Westchester, but in both cases, the cuts amounted to $1.55. And those cuts took place January 1st, 2024, which is the same day that statewide home care workers were um, getting $1.55 wage increase. That was part of the incremental wages that had been passed in the 2022 budget. Um, so this all gets a little complicated with who's getting wage increases, who's getting wage cuts, but the bottom line is the workers that were included in wage parity saw no increase due to the fact that their wage parity rates were cut and it was only applied to CDPA. I'd like to add traditional home care workers did not see their wage parity, um, impacted whatsoever. Now this year they want to cut it altogether and that would bring workers downstate to the lowest wages since uh, I think pre-2020 levels, in fact, which 
As many of you are aware, um, prices have not been going down on consumer goods <laughs> or like the cost of living, quite the opposite, and at a inflation rate that is um, notable. And so to reduce the wages for a workforce that is predominantly women of color, um, a majority of whom are immigrants as well, is doing nothing positive for equity. It's also going to be very impactful to the people who hire personal assistants. We're already in the midst of a nationwide workforce crisis in which New York leads. This is only going to drive um, more and more of the workforce into other sectors that have more competitive pay and discourage those who might have considered entering the workforce from doing so in the first place. Absolutely. She's Julia Batista. He's Alex Thompson there with me, Blaze Bryant, here on the Blaze and Access podcast. Now, both of you talked about and alluded to, to a degree, the governor's master plan on aging and disability. Now, as she signed this executive order and then you see what's coming out of the budget, how do these things line up and how is no one really, except for the disability community, really calling her out on this? I think that this is incompatible, certainly, with the master plan on aging. I don't know many of the specific details, but I know that, you know, the governor and the budget director have both acknowledged the fact that New York is aging rapidly. And in fact, those over the age of 60 are the fastest growing demographic in New York State. So something needs to be addressed. And while I think the intention is to save money so that more services can be provided because that will be necessary. Um, this is going to only reduce service access. For sure. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think, you know, as Julia said, there's a lot of macroeconomic issues around inflation, cost of living. Um, and then, you know, there's also a legacy issue of, you know, we had the Cuomo administration for many years where we were seeing no growth in, you know, wages and support for um, for home care and supports for people to live in the community. Um, and now, you know, we're we're making, a, you know, we made a little bit of progress maybe in the past two years. But, you know, now we're facing cuts basically in, in long term care, which is unreasonable as we have a like you said, we have an aging population that needs to be part of a plan that includes funding. I think one of the, the big issues with this master plan is we don't really know um, how that connects to uh, to budget. For sure. I'm going to tee this up for Alex and then you, Julia. Why is it that consumer-directed personal assistance and home care in general seems to be the bully pulpit for so many cuts, yet it was home care workers who proved during the pandemic, which we've known all along as people who work in this space, how essential they truly are. One of the kind of narratives that we keep hearing is growth in the program, right? So the state is seeing how popular uh, consumer-directed um, assistance is. They're seeing kind of growth in, you know, people want to be able to choose who is providing them assistance with some very, you know, intimate care in some cases. Um, you know, you these are people that are working in your home. They're, they're really, you know, it's a very personal thing. And I think, you know, being able to choose who is providing assistance to you is very, um, is very important. And now the other part of that is that 
um, because of the stagnation wages, a lot of people were not able to get care through traditional, um, you know, agency systems or other, um, you know, support um, providers. So, you know, that's another component of where we've seen gr growth in the, the CDPA program is there's a little more flexibility in terms of, you know, you are recruiting um, people to work for you. And so, of course, there's going to be growth in a program like that that is very successful, um, that has helped people um, get the care workers that they need. Um, the state seeing that growth and now they're saying, well, this is, you know, unreasonable growth in the program. Um, but that's also amidst, you know, a large aging population and, you know, people with disabilities that are um, seeking this program out because they can actually get the, the care that they need to stay in the community. Right. And it. Alex, to your point, it really is an attitudinal thing, isn't it? Because here we saw over 15,000 people in New York State alone die in nursing homes from COVID, yet let's cut the home care programs and keep giving money to the nursing homes. Yeah, I, there's statistics. I mean, the majority of people would like to age in place uh, and stay in their homes. And so, of course, this is going to be a popular program. Right. Uh, Julia, uh, give us your perspective you know, to kind of add on to that, I think that there is a pervasive attitude that really precedes this administration, that um, this is something that family members should be providing for free. And this is something that we've had to push back on for a long time. I mean, you can really go on about all of the inequities of women in the workforce and the expectations of them to also provide unpaid care to multiple generations of family. And the reality is you can't, many times, unfortunately, um, people do not have these supports um, informally, or if they do, it's something that is impossible to um, maintain. And if you can't pay a workforce enough money, there's going to be no one to provide them whatsoever, paid or unpaid, and people will wind up in institutions. And I think that we have despite the platitudes, really had an institutional bias um, in the state. And I was hopeful that this new administration would try to move past that. I think that the temporary savings that they're presented with can be seductive. Um, we find that in the long term, and not even the, the so far long term, um, it winds up costing us more to keep people in, in institutions and to um, not provide preventative care through personal care. So... I think it's a, like you said, a problem with attitude and also um, a problem with kind of kicking the can down the road as far as um, the accrued costs. 